Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Um, Ben's away for two weeks, so please be in prayer for him and his family. Um, So you've got me this week. Um, Just some announcements. So we do have a barbecue next week. So we're still going on with that. Uh, Meat is provided, but for us, the rest of us, we should be bringing drinks and sides and desserts. So, yeah, be here. It's always a good time of just hanging out and eating, you know. Jesus liked to eat with people. We're going to learn that today, and you're going to learn that in five weeks with the biblical dinner. In regards to the biblical dinner, the sign-up's still there, so please sign up and, and invite people. Um, I'm actually quite, uh, I'm quite trepid about doing it, but I'm also quite excited about it. So it's, it's a, truly a good, it's a good evening, it's a good message. Um, it's for believers and unbelievers, so it's really good. Um, and Friday night, this Friday night, normally Ben and Martin take turns sharing. Martin's decided this week, let's do some questions. And sometimes we have questions that we think, I'm the only one who has them. And when you ask them, you realize you're not the only one that has them. Basically, everybody has them. So I encourage you to come. Even if you've never come before, this could be very, very enlightening, very helpful. Um, If you're a bit uh, scared to personally ask the question, you can write it down, and we've got a, a basket we'll have, and you can put them in there on your way in. That way, when the question gets read, we don't know it's, it's Phil Lai who's asked that question. Um, it, it could be anybody, you know. But it, it, I've, I've always enjoyed, and I've always thought about that. That's a good idea because it is. There's questions that we have, you know. Am I the only one who struggles with sin? Am I the only one? What does God's voice sound like? What does it feel like when you're doing, why do I feel this way about certain things? Is it me, you know? Do I have enough faith? What's going on with this? And these are all things that people struggle with. Even when you get older and you're more mature, sometimes we struggle with things, you know? But, so I encourage you to come Friday night and prepare your questions, you know? And even if you, if you, if you personally want to ask the question, write it down so you don't forget it. So if you're like me, I have lots of questions, and then come the time, I'm like, I have no idea what I was actually thinking. So, but that's okay. We're going to be uh, looking at uh, Luke chapter 15. So if you'd all turn there in your Bibles. I'm going to try it without glasses again. Sometimes I can do it, sometimes I can't. So in my Bible study on Wednesday night, we went through Luke chapter 15. Um, But I've changed things up a bit. Sometimes you can read... Actually, lots of times you can read the Bible and the message will change. What is the Lord actually trying to say? Um, So let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you are in control of everything. We thank you for your word, that your word is the thing that changes us. The word actually gives us power to believe, Lord. It helps us in conjunction with your spirit to do things that 
we cannot do. Um, so we ask that you would come here to teach us, to bless us. Fill me with your spirit and fill all of us with your spirit that we could hear and we could do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in my Bible study, going through Luke, at the end of chapter 14, Jesus challenges the people to follow him. He says, you need to forsake all and follow me. And it's like, what? And it's a hard message. You're like, whoa. But the interesting thing about it is, he's just saying, I need to be first. I am first. It doesn't mean everything's a, a second or a totally in the past because your, your, your spouse is important, your family's important, your job's important, everything else is important. But most numero uno is God and what he wants you to do and what he wants you to accomplish. So let's look at chapter 15. I'm pretty sure we can get through this whole thing. So verses one through three. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke a parable to them, saying. So in verse 1, we see that Jesus actually gave quite a difficult message. You need to forsake all and follow me. And you would think, the crowds wouldn't like that. But verse 1 tells us that tax collectors and sinners drew even closer to him, that Jesus attracted them, that Jesus was the one they went, this is totally different. I want to hear what this is. I like this. You would think if you went to people and said, you need to forsake all and follow Jesus, people would go, no way, I'm not doing that. But there's something that Jesus says, and there's something about him that attracts people. Of course, we look at verse 2, the rulers, well, they repelled the people. They complained about this. And look at their complaints. This is the, the Pharisees and the scribes. Two things they complain about. Number one, he receives sinners. Because their attitude was, sinners are really good for nothing. They're really there to stoke the fires of Gehenna. Hell, that's what their mindset was. I'm righteous, they're unrighteous. And that's a really bad attitude to have because at the end of the day, you need to realize we're all sinners. Anybody who's come to the recognition that Jesus is Lord and you follow him, that's by the grace of God. It's not because you're righteous in any way. But they complained about this and then they complained about the second part. He says he eats with them. Now, in the Middle Eastern culture, if you broke bread or you ate with someone, it, there's something like it's a spiritual connection, it's a spiritual union that takes place. I'm going to teach about this at the biblical dinner. Got to do a couple plugs here for the biblical dinner. But that's why you should come, because there is significance, and there is things, a reason why they do this. And they sat there and went, how dare he eat with these sinners? Shocking. But they complained. Jesus responds with a parable. And he's going to teach a parable. It's actually in three parts. Sometimes we think of this as parables, 
But if you look at the scripture, it's a parable, but it's in three different ways. It's the same parable. It's just taught three different ways. And it's all going to lead to joy, repentance and joy. And um, D.L. Moody said, joy is a serious, is the serious business of heaven. It really is a serious business of heaven. And if it's a serious business of heaven, we should get used to it here. It shouldn't be a surprise when you get to heaven and go, oh my goodness, there's so much joy here. It's fantastic. We should be getting ready for this. And this chapter, when I looked at it seriously this week, which is totally different than what I taught on Wednesday night, I felt the Lord telling me, I want you to teach about joy. I want you to teach about joy. Because sometimes other things get in the way. Okay? So what is a parable? I ask this every single time in a Bible study. Because, and the reason why I ask the question is, when we do it over and over and over and over, you get used to it. You know? Um, so it is a story to assist truth. It's a story that everybody knows. You know, we would talk about driving a car because generally everybody knows about driving a car. You could tell you, turn that into a spiritual thing. They would talk about farming or households or something that everybody knew about and boom, it helps them understand. So he responds in verse three and he's responding to, and I, this, if you get this, this opens up the entire chapter. It took me a, I read a book about the prodigal son. I had been a Christian probably five or six years and it didn't even dawn on me. We look at the prodigal son and think the prodigal son is about the son and a father. But we need to look at verse two, who complained? The complaint was the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus responds to them, okay? We'll deal with this in the end. But if you can remember, the prodigal son, the message is to the guys who are complaining. So let's go. Four through seven. We'll go three different sections of the same parable. Same parable, all in a little bit different way. Four through seven. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So this is a message to the Pharisees and the scribes. You guys, if you've read the Bible or you actually went to some Sunday school or something, you know this. You got 100 sheep. There's one lost so, he leaves the 99 alone. Or does he? Because we can read this and go, that's, I mean, he's left 99. If one can go off, 
But what happens is shepherds would take their sheep and they'd go off into different sections and they'd graze. And at night, shepherd A meets up with shepherd B and shepherd C or shepherd D and they come together and they do this. They, they look after the sheep together. That's what it does. And if you look at this, um, John chapter 3, John chapter 10, 3. Look at what Jesus, because Jesus is talking about, I am the good shepherd. In verse 3, he says, to him the doorkeeper opens. Again, it's a doorkeeper where the sheep are kept. He opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So that's what happens. Sheep would come together, but the sheep know their own individual's master, their own shepherd. So they come in and go, you know, cooey or whatever they would do, you know, and those sheep would hear that voice and they'd come out and the other, another shepherd would come in and say, you know, whoop, whoop, whatever they'd say, I'll make up noises as I go. And they come and they hear that noise and they know. So this is what happened. He doesn't just, you know, leave them by, them, by their own selves to defend themselves. Sheep can't defend themselves. But the amazing thing about this is the shepherd goes away and he finds the one sheep and he finds it. And it's so awesome. He comes back home, he calls his friends, he calls his neighbors, and he's like, rejoice with me. I've found my one sheep. I found it. You beaut. Then Jesus tells them in verse 7, he changes it from sheep to a person. And he says, there's joy in heaven. When is there joy in heaven? When one person repents and comes to the Lord. It's the greatest thing. Their attitude, the Pharisees and the scribes were, they're good for nothing. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. They are really important. And when they repent, there's joy in heaven. Think about this. The day that you were saved eruption of joy in heaven. The day I was saved, like I remember that day as clear as it, clear as, bang. But I had no idea when that happened to me that there was an eruption of joy in heaven because it's great. That's what God's all about. That he just loves people. He loves to save them. So let's look at the next section. He's making this point to the Pharisees and the scribes who are complaining Verses 8 through 10. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Changes it up a little bit, but it's the same story. So we see this, the, the woman's got 10 coins and she loses one. We look at this in our society and go, well, she's lost a coin. That's a bit of a bummer, you know? Could be a little bit light on the groceries this week. Sorry, kids, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have the ice cream, you know? It's a bit of a bummer, or the bills might get paid. 
But see, in their culture, they would know this. So 10 coins means something. When a woman got married, she would take 10 coins, they'd make basically a necklace, and they'd put it around. Either they'd bore a hole through the coins, or they would just take fabric and wrap it around the coins and then hook it to a necklace and put it on. And you go, and what does that mean? It means I'm married. It's part of the dowry, I'm married. Sort of like we, if you're married, have a wedding ring. It means something, you know? And when we lose it, like for me as a kid, I used to watch sitcoms and the mother would be washing the dishes or something and all of a sudden it's down the drain. You guys, ever, I'm sure you've seen this. And then they tell the husband, the husband, the son, they, whatever, they go under there and they're unscrewing everything, seeing if it's in the trap, you know, because they've lost it. It's important. Same thing here. They would understand this. This means something. This coin, it's gone. It's disastrous. I've lost my wedding ring. So what does she do? Well, she lights a candle because most rooms that they lived in were dark. They're dark for a reason. Like, you ever put a light on at night in the summer and all the bugs come flying to it? So these places are open, they're dark. She also says that she sweeps the house. You're like, we look at it and go, oh, you swept the floor. You know, it's a little bit dirty. You're sweeping and you'll finally, when you hear the coin, you got it. No, in their culture, they lived, unless you were really wealthy and you had tiled floors, you basically had dirt floors. That's what it's like. And if you had dirt floors, don't forget, if you owned an animal, the animal is important. Do you leave your animal at night outside? No, you do not. Because if your animal is outside, it's going to get caught and it's going to get killed by another wild animal. So you bring your animal in the house. And you're like, I've got a dog. He's pretty good. He tells us when he needs to go to the toilet. Goats, sheep, I don't think you could teach. You might be able to. So you can imagine what your house is like. And they also have things called a threshold. And we, we look at thresholds and we, in our culture, we think, you know, okay, marriage threshold, you might, if you're a lot stronger than me, you might carry your wife across the threshold. That's sort of a thing that, that is done. But a threshold is a reason why it's called a threshold. It's a piece of stone, and I've got them in my doorways. One's broken, needs to get fixed, to do. So you put it there. It's a stone. It's a thresh hold. It holds thresh. So what is thresh? Thresh is hay and everything else in your floor. It holds it from going outside. It stays in. So if you were to sweep the house, now, it might be yay thick, and I don't know how big your room is. Let's say the room is, you know, how long do you think it would take to find a coin lost in that room? A long time. Hands and knees doing that. She finds it, and when she finds it, which is a lot of effort, you beauty, I've got it. Call your friends, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. A lot of hard effort, I've got it. And when it happens... It's beautiful, and it tells us in verse 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God when one sinner repents. That's what he's trying to tell these guys. Guys, you got the wrong attitude. 
People who don't know God are important. They're massively important to God. It's a really, really bad attitude. But let's turn now to the next section, the prodigal son. This is a story that um, everybody knows. It's probably one of the most famous stories in the world, the prodigal son. The prodigal son, we know the story, he repents, he comes back. And what does repent mean? I'll ask this in my Bible study. What does repent mean? And I don't tell them the answer. I wait for it. It means to change your mind, to change your direction. I was going this way, and now I'm going this way. I was against God. I was going against the flow of God. I'm going towards him. That's it. That's repentance. Okay? Much different than regret. And we're going to talk about regret as well. Verses 11 through 16. Then he said, this is Jesus, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a great famine, a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Simple story. Guy has two sons. The younger son says in verse 12, give me my portion. We look at that and think, oh, you know, you little scoundrel, you know? Most people, now it's not, it can be that you can get an inheritance while your parents are alive, but usually it's, when they're gone. So the attitude is, I wish you were dead, Dad. How? Man, that would just cut you to the bone. Cut you to the bone. I want what you have, but I don't want you. That's what he's telling his dad. But his dad's awesome. His dad, actually, all we see in here is, um, in verse 12, he divided to them. He actually gave the inheritance to the older son as well. The older son gets double what the younger son has. He gets double, younger son gets just a single portion. He gave it to them both. That's all we know about him. We learn a lot about the father. We learn a lot about the father in heaven through this. All of us have done that. I don't want you, God. I did that growing up. But I came back. Praise God. So, it's amazing that, that the Father blessed them. He blessed both of them. 
the older son and the younger son. And we're going to deal with the older son at the end here. He blessed them both. So, verse 13, he takes off. He took off physically, but he took off mentally probably way before then. He was gone. Didn't want to do it. Didn't want to be there. He took off looking for fulfillment. Looking for something more. And it says, with prodigal living, which is wasteful, things go bad. He spends everything. All his friends he had, um, there's always friends around when somebody wants to spend money. But when the money runs dry, where are your friends? And so there's a famine. He goes and goes to a guy who owns swine pigs. And he goes and starts, his only thing he could do is feed them. And he's eating the same stuff that the pigs are eating. And if you're a Jewish boy and you're feeding pigs, that's like one of the worst things you could do because that's not a clean animal according to the law. So he's totally in the, he's in the dregs of life. And in verse 16, it tells us that no one gave him anything. Probably even the guy he was working for wasn't even giving him anything except for the food that he was feeding the swine. These, what do they call them, carob pods. That was his food. That was all he had left. Next section, 17 through the first part of 20. But when he came to himself, and this is the most pivotal point in this young man's life. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have enough bread, have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And in verse 20, he arose and came to his father. So in verse 17, it says he, he came to himself. There's sort of an indication that the way he was living, the way he was acting wasn't actually himself. He was trying to be something he wasn't. Which is what sin does to us. It does to people. You're not who you actually are. And all of us are made in the image of God when we're born. But the sin wrecks you. He came to himself. And what did he think of? He thought of his father. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin, and he convicts us and shows us that Jesus has paid the price which the Father gave for our sin. Romans 2, 4 tells us this. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, but knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, brings you back. It's the goodness of God. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of your doing wrong, it's the goodness of God that leads us to say, 
Lord, I am sorry. I confess my sins. And Jesus is just and true to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And we change our ways. That's what we do. So back to Luke. 17 through 19, it's all about his mind, what he's thinking. If you know me, I'm not a big speaker. I'm not a big talker, but I am a thinker. I think a lot. My mind is always working. Sometimes it's actually not working, but we won't talk, discuss that either. All right? Don't give my tricks away, hon. All right. But in 17 through 19, we see his, his thoughts, his intentions, his will, and his confession. It's all in his mind. And in verse 18, he says, I have sinned. I have sinned. And that's a very, very important thing to say. But it depends on what you do afterwards. Nine people in the Bible, we read, say, I have sinned. Okay? I'm going to group them in two. You guys can probably figure this out. The first group is a group of four. Pharaoh said, I have sinned. Balaam said, I have sinned. That's number two. King Saul said, I have sinned. The prodigal son, actually, sorry, Judas Iscariot said, I have sinned. Okay? These guys all said, I have sinned, but their problem is, there was no repentance. There was no change. Oh, there was regret, but there was no change. And Jesus has taught us in the first two parts here that there's joy in heaven when there's repentance of a sinner, changing your ways. They did nothing about it. They said it, but they didn't change. They did nothing about it. There's five others in the Bible who have said, I have sinned. Micah, chapter 7, verse 9. I found that yesterday. Micah. Job said, I have sinned. Achan said, I have sinned. David, King David, and he said it six times. How about that? The guy who God just totally poured his blessings out, Six times said, I have sinned. And because he repented, boy, his life was blown away. Fantastic. That should be a reminder to any of us. If you mess up, I have sinned, repent, change your ways, expect blessing. Because that's rejoicing him. Six times there was an eruption of joy in heaven over King David. Not because he failed, but because I have sinned and because he changed. Awesome. And the last one, the prodigal son. The thing they have in common is they all repented. They said, I have sinned. They have repented. They changed their direction, and the direction was towards God. That's where they went towards. They went to the Lord. Verse 20 shows us that what repentance is in action. He arose and came to his father. 
He did something about it. He didn't just think about it because what, what do they say? The road, the road of disaster is filled with good intentions or something like that. You, you guys probably know more than I do. I don't know. But good intentions is not good enough. You have to do something. You have to do something. So he did. He arose and came to his father. And what do you think he thought that was going to be like? I just lost everything. Everything my dad worked for, and probably his dad and his dad, I've lost it all. And it's my fault. My father was quite tough. I would not want to walk up to my father and say, this is my real father, not my heavenly father, okay? If I had to walk up to my father and said, Dad, I know you gave me, I don't know. My dad didn't have much money. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. But let's say he gave me 20,000 bucks and I had to walk in front of him and say, Dad, I, I'm sorry, can I come home? I'd be ducking. My, my dad was tough. My dad was tough. So you can imagine what's going through this guy's brain. He's got to go home, and I've lost it all. But he was probably expecting the worst. But gee, this is a great, great section, the next section. This is what the father does. The rest of 20 through 24. This is what God is like. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandal on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was, he was lost and, and is found, and they began to be merry. Never in a million years was he expecting that. Never. But he went to his father. And verse 20 tells us the father first... He sees him. That means he was actually looking for him. He wanted him to come home. He missed him. Even though he even said, Dad, I want what you got, but I don't want you. I wish you were dead. His dad still wanted him. Number two, he had compassion. He's not mean at all. He's compassion. He understands. Number three, he runs. Old Middle Eastern men do not run, but this guy runs. His dad runs. He couldn't wait. He was excited to see him, not to come and cower to him. He ran to him. That's what God is like. He runs to you. He comes looking for you. He comes looking for me. And if he didn't come and run at him, you know what the Old Testament law says? If a son disgraces his father or mother, you could be stoned to death. He's like, no, I'm going to run and protect him. 
The law says die. The father says no, live. Same thing with us. The law says you've broken the law. You deserve death. But Jesus came, died on a cross for my sins. Why? So he could put his arms around me, give me a life and say, you live. You live. It's awesome. And number four, he kisses him. And I'm not going to say anything more about this because I'll talk about this at the biblical dinner. So make sure you're here for the biblical dinner. Five weeks. Actually, it's less than five weeks. It's Saturday. Four weeks and six days. Yeah, that's right. Four weeks, six days. I got that right. So, you know, and check out, check out the difference between verse 19 and verse 21. In verse 19, the, the son had already in his mind, knew what he was going to say, line for line. And at the end, he says, make me like one of your hired servants. His father stops him, doesn't even let him stop and says, no, don't worry about that. Go get the, go get the coat, go get the robe, go get the fatted calf, get the ring. I want to bless him. I want to bless him. I want to bless him. He's back. This warms my heart. God, the father's heart is so warmed that he's back. Uh, it's unbelievable. This is what God is like. He's totally like this. Everything the son went looking for, he actually found when he came home. Every single person who walks his earth, what they're looking for is only found in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. He's the one. It's not a church. It's not the things we do. It's found in him. When he came home to his father, that's when it all worked. It's what he was looking for his whole life. He found it. What did he find? Well, he found the best robe. He was accepted back in the family. The best. He gives him the best. God, if God has given his son to us, he's not going to withhold anything else because he's already given us the best. That's what he's like. He gets a ring. He puts the ring back on and says, you're the son. You're my son. We are sons and daughters of God. It's amazing. He gives them sandals. Why sandals? Because the old ones are worn out. No, because servants don't wear sandals. Give them sandals. You are more than a servant. We're more than servants. We're conquerors. We're going to be like Jesus one day. We're part of the family. Yes, we learn to serve, and we're going to learn this as well today. But we're more than that. We're part of the family. And then bring out the fatted calf. This is the one that they've been waiting for. Not just A, this is the one that we want to eat here. He's going to satisfy his hunger. Totally satisfied. And that's what happens when we come to the Lord. Did he deserve it? Come on. Anybody who's in this room, you've just wasted everything of the Father's. Did he deserve it? No. But his father poured grace on him. He just poured it out on him. It's fantastic. One last thing I want to say. Look at verse 12, and you got to read this. Because if you read it, you'll see it. The attitude in verse 12, he comes to his father and says, Give me. Give me. 
Look at what his attitude's like in verse 19. At the end of it, he says, make me. Make me one of your servants. That's when life changes. When we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, just make me into what you want. Make me. And he's like, that's the heart I'm looking for. That's when you start to, the Lord starts to work in your life and you become others oriented more than self. Self says, give me. Others oriented says, Lord, you make me whatever you want and I'm happy with it. That everything changes and God's like, that is what I want. That's the heart I want. It, it is, and it is a, it is the best thing to know that God's doing the work. Because your fingerprints are off of it. And like when I put my fingerprints on things, it, it, it's, it's all over the windows, you know? But when he's doing it, make me, make me. I encourage you, go to Lord and say, Lord, make me what you want me to be. Make me. There's so much in this. And then verse 24, rejoice, rejoice. He's making it so straightforwardly obvious. Rejoice for my son. He was dead, he's alive. He was lost, he's found. These three stories, the first two, you've got the sheep and the coin, okay? The sheep, well, they were lost because the sheep was just foolish. It was foolishness. It was dumb. Sheep are dumb. It was the sheep's fault. The coin, the coin was lost because of carelessness. Coins don't get lost. Just like at my house, my keys don't get lost. The keys don't walk. You guys understand this? They don't walk. Either I, Jackie, Kate, or Samuel, or maybe the dog, or someone's come in my house when I wasn't looking, they put them somewhere. You know? Inanimate objects do not move. It was someone else's carelessness that lost that coin. But the son, the son was lost because he rebelled. It was his decision. It was his willfulness to go somewhere. So in the sheep and the coin, they were lost, but the person went and found it. God goes and finds. And that's what we call Calvinism, okay? Or the sovereignty of God. That God goes and searches for people. And that's people have these conversations. They have these ideologies. That's a truth in the Bible. But we see that the son, the son is an example of Calvinism. It's the responsibility of the man. The son actually decided, I'm going to go to the father. They're both true. Calvinism and the other one's called Armenianism, all right? Just sort of throw that out there. Because there are people who have these views. They're both in the scripture. How can they both be true? Because God says they're true. That's it. So we can relate. Some of us are just dumb sheep. 
or maybe something's happened to us and while we're lost, or you're like the son, you just rebelled. Three sorts of people in the world. But, we, and we can relate to that, but can we relate to the older son? Personally, I think we can. Let's take a look at him. We'll finish this up. Verse 25 to 32. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, and I'm sure he was like over the moon as well. Your brother has come and because he, he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. What a message. Your brother's back. Woohoo! No. Verse 29. But he was angry. Uh, 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me the young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you were always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. This is the message, the culmination of the message to the Pharisees and the scribes. And it can also be the message to us, especially if you've been serving the Lord for quite some time. Let's look at verse 25. What's he doing? He's out in the field working. He's busy. He's busy doing what his father wants him to do. He's out there, you know, doing the hard yards. Verse 27, he hears that his brother has come back. Someone else is blessed and he's not. Are you serious? You're blessing him and not me? He doesn't deserve it. I do. I'm the one doing the hard yards, not him. What are you doing? Verse 29 says he's angry. Well, why is he angry? It could be numerous reasons why his anger is there. You know, I deserve it. He doesn't. Daddy squandered your money. Well, if I had two thirds and he had one third and is gone, do I have to give him part of mine? You know, I'm, am I going to lose my money and my inheritance? Do I have to give some of this away? We have no idea, but he was angry. And because he was angry, we know he wasn't rejoicing. He had no joy. He was complaining. Verse two, complaining. You know, and... This is what legalism can do to any of us. 
Because legalism is all about do, 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 I perform. If I perform, I deserve. I've been there. I've done that. This is what happens. Do, do, do. I deserve it because, hey, I'm on the worship team every Sunday morning. I'm here at 9 o'clock. I deserve to be blessed. Nobody else comes in until 10. Or, hey, I've prepared all week. I deserve this. Or, hey, I've been reading my Bible every day. I deserve to be blessed. I'm going to get that blessing because I've read my Bible. Or I'm the one praying. Where's everybody else? That's complaints. And that's what happens when your attitude is, I deserve it. Legalism. Be careful. Remember, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were masters of the law. Masters of the law. They were legalists. I'm righteous. They're not. How dare you eat with them? And it can happen. Be very, very careful. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says this. I've served you. I've never transgressed the commandment. I behave. That's what he's saying. I behave. And it's like you you never gave me a party. I deserve the party. That's called pride. Legalism and pride. I deserve this. They thought they were okay by their behavior. They were not okay. We can also think we're okay by our behavior. But it's wrong. Verse 30. He sells out his brother. He devoured your livelihood with harlots. I'm righteous. He's not. Self-righteousness. He openly announces his sins to his father. Do you think his father knew? Of course he did. And even if he didn't, why does he need to know? He's repentant. He's come home. You know? Be careful with how we talk of others. The father, and this could be any of us, any Christian... The father says something to him in verse 31. He actually, he's pleading with him. This is a wrong behavior. I don't want you this way. He says, son, you're always with me. I'm here the whole time. Why are you concerned about someone else? I'm here the whole time. And God's with us the whole time. Everywhere we go, he's here. All I have is yours. God's given us everything. He says, all I have is yours. Um, But the son, the older son, did not believe it. He just complained. Could he have had the party? He could have had it any time. His dad's like, he could have had, it was yours. I've already given you your inheritance. It tells us in verse, verse 12. He divided to them. It was already his. But he decided not to enjoy it. The joy was there. He missed it. And guys, you can be a Christian 
and miss it. Don't miss it. Ephesians, and you won't see this up there. I've written this before I finished last night or yesterday afternoon. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Don't miss that. He has given you every spiritual blessing. Why? Because you pray, because you read, because you're behaving? No, because he blesses you. He's given you, because you believe he's given it to you. You've got every spiritual blessing. Everyone. You know what that means in the Greek? It means everyone. Everyone. He's given you every spiritual blessing. The son missed it. Don't miss it. John 16. This will be the last one I finish on. 1624. Actually, I'll read 23. This is Jesus speaking. This is, he's speaking to his disciples, but he's speaking to you and me. 23. And then that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Joy is a something that heaven's all about, but he says, your joy should be full. I want you to ask. I want you to talk to me. I want you to ask for things. Not selfishly. We know this. Ask. If for some reason we're struggling and we're not having that joy, go talk to God. He's given you every spiritual blessing. Joy does not equal happiness. Just want you to know that because life is up and down. There There are things that will be tough, you know. But he says, your joy may be full. Come and talk to me. The older son, it was right in front of his face the whole time. And he missed it. Don't miss it. He's given you every spiritual blessing says, come talk to me. Your joy may be full. I want your joy to be full. He didn't believe. That was his problem. He didn't even know it. I'll end it on this. Legalism says behave, okay? Simple as that, behave. Behave and I'll be blessed is wrong. Faith says simply this, believe. Faith says believe. They asked the question of Jesus, how do I do the works of God? And he says, believe. You're blessed. You're really blessed by faith. We do not and should not be the older son. Ever. Know that you're blessed. Know that you're blessed. And that your joy may be full. He wants joy. We should get used to it because that's the heaven that we're going to. You know, no more tears. It's going to be great joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for joy.
We thank you, Lord, that if we don't have joy, you just say, ask. And that's called faith. Ask that your joy may be full. Help us to be people, Lord, who come to you, who ask you, who just believe that you are who you are and that you can do all things. And we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.